We'll praise your name. Yeah, what a beautiful reality we get to uh, live into in our Monday to Saturdays. Uh, and we do our fiscal year uh, from July to June, and we just came to the end. And so just uh, keeping us all on the same page of where we've been and, and where we're headed, um, we are so thankful for God's grace and your generosity. Uh, so we came in at about 1.9 under budget, but we also were about 2.9 under expenses. And so God in his grace and, and so thankful, the elders, myself, so thankful uh, for your time, your treasure, your talent that you pour into this community. Uh, ended with uh, about 6,700 net as we head into this coming year, which is, which is cool. Just trying to be faithful uh, as a biblically saturated community. We, we just look around the country, it sure feels like uh, biblically saturated communities are, are, are becoming fewer and far between. So we want to continue to be a community uh, that is anchored in the text. Uh, and we live that out as a family in our Mondays to Saturdays. And so if you have a Bible, turn to 9, Mark 9. Um, and, uh, and just like Fred said, uh, Camp Fairwood has something for everyone. Casey and I would be the uh, kind of Camp Marriott people, and um, that would be about our, our, our level of camping. But if you have a, a broader spectrum of roughing it, then there's a, there's a place for you as well. I can't fear what I think a little bit for everyone. And so thankful. Last night, or uh, yeah, last night, our students uh, had a fundraiser where uh, parents got to have a night away. Uh, family night was on Friday, a bunch of kids here under Aaron's leadership. Um, and then we had 12 middle school students just get back from camp uh, recently, a, a week at... Um, VCBC, Village Creek Bible Camp, uh, down in Iowa. And so things are happening. And there's a few <laughs> other men's and women's stuff coming up. And there's a men's golf on August 21st. Casey turned to me and said, hey, do you know what's happening August 21st, David? And I said, what? Well, it seems like a great day to do a golf tournament. You know, we'll do a nine hole just at Foxborough. She goes, do you know of anything else that might be happening on August 21st? <sighs> We could go to dinner later that night for our anniversary, babe. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. So, so we're, we're in Mark 9. We're in this summer series, Kingdom of God. And we're, we're looking through some of the teachings of Jesus just about what he's inviting us into. Because this kingdom of God sometimes feels so abstract and elusive. And really, uh, I love what our kids have been doing along with us. And so there's a simplicity to this kingdom. So this is Sadie Horst, and she drew a picture of the unmerciful servant, the servant who was forgiven much. Last week, we looked. It's not just a big amount versus a small amount of forgiveness. It's actually a payable amount, 100 denarii versus an unpayable amount, 60 million denarii. And so Sadie drew uh, an unforgiving servant, and yet what the kingdom of God calls us to is this restoration of forgiveness. Because we've been forgiven much, we actually forgive. And the simplicity of watching our kids design photos to mimic the teachings. And so we've been talking about this. The kingdom of God is about a king forming a people to live under his rule and reign. The first couple weeks, we talked about this king, that he is growing his kingdom. What we're not somehow willing in building the kingdom. Instead, uh, we get to join him in what he's doing, and he's a generous king. 
His generosity is for all, not because of what you've done or how you've earned your status. Instead, his generosity is for all. And then we talked about how he's forming people, that the kingdom is a treasure, that a man found and covered up, and then in his joy sells all he has, and, and we deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him, not grit and bear it and just choke down that apple, but rather as he's forming us, he's forming us into his marvelous light as a beautiful, beautiful call. And now we've been unpacking. So what does it mean to live under his rule and reign? And we talked about forgiveness. And this morning in Mark 9, we're going to see another layer to this story. And, and, and I hope every week, if you don't bring your Bibles, there's a Bible in the seat back in front of you, open it up. And, and what we do these aren't my words, right? I hope you hear these words don't come from some authority I have. Rather, we believe the God of the universe has chosen to write a book. Of all the ways, he chose to write a book, and so we look to him through these words. And so we're in Mark 9. Here's what Jesus has for us this morning. And we'll start in verse 30, and we'll go to verse 37. Mark 9, verse 30. They went on there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing along the way? You know, while I was talking about dying, what were you guys talking about? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. When we think of greatness, what comes to mind? What, what's the story or picture in your heart that you start to think of when you think of greatness? Uh, uh, every conversation that I feel that happens on sports radio, it is always talking about who is the GOAT. And maybe if we live in Packer country, we think Aaron Rodgers is the GOAT. And, and there's always a conversation, who is the greatest of all time? And, and so Jesus is going to invite us into this story. In the kingdom of God, Jesus helps his disciples and us figure out how to be great. Jesus is actually going to give us the blueprint. He's going to say, you want to be great in this life? Let me tell you in my kingdom, let me tell you how to be great. And he's going to tell us it's by descending into greatness. And so pray with me as we jump into Mark 9 and, and unpack another layer of what it means to live uh, under Jesus, King Jesus, rule and reign. God, you're so good. Whatever we brought in this morning, we believe sometimes we get to the end of what we are able and capable of. Prayer is the work, and so we depend on you. The battle belongs to you that we want to cling to that reality. Prayer is the work, and so we pray with desperate dependence for you to change our hearts and to change the hearts of those around us as we invite and as we grow into what it means to be a part of your kingdom. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. 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 And so this morning, we're just walking through another layer of, of what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And this morning, he's going to help us figure out what it means to be great, and it's descending into greatness. And so here's where Jesus is going to take us. 
The disciples are wrestling with who is the greatest. But contrary to popular opinion, Jesus isn't going to say, don't be great. Instead, he's going to say, let me describe to you the pathway to greatness. And so here's where we'll start. The disciples are wrestling with this reality. Who is the greatest? And, and, and I want to just build some of the context of where we find ourselves. So if you look at Mark 8, Mark is building his case of just this teachings of Jesus. And Mark 8 to 10 is about seeing Jesus. Mark 8, he tells a story on, on verse 22 where Jesus heals a blind man. And then Mark turns his gospel when Jesus says to Peter, you are right, I am the Christ. And then Mark 10 ends with a story before the triumphal entry, ends with a story about the healing of a blind man. So 8 to 10, right where we're going to see this text this morning, is sandwiched in this portion of Mark where he's talking about seeing Jesus. He's been talking his whole letter thus far about Jesus' messiahship, and now he's giving us another layer of what it means to live under King Jesus' reign, to see Jesus and live under his reign. And three times, three times, he says he's going to die. In 8 to 10, three times, he's giving the disciples a layer, and they don't get it. And they're still thinking, this is metaphorical, like somehow you're going to die in a metaphorical or figurative sense. Sure, Jesus, we understand you're going to die, got it. And then you're going to really come and triumph. But he's trying to tell these guys, this is what it looks like to follow me and to see me. And so this is where we're moving. He now starts talking about what it means to be great. And I love this in verse, in verse uh, 33. We see a turn. They're walking with him. Jesus has just talked about being killed. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know if Jesus is like somehow spiritually gaining these, these insights or they're just talking so loud that he could hear them talking about it. But they say this. He comes to Capernaum and when he was in the house, he asked them, hey guys, what were you discussing along the way? Knowing full well what they're talking about. And they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So what might you then anticipate Jesus would tell them? Well, guys, you know this Christian thing that's following me? You know, you're not supposed to be great. Stop striving to be great. That's, that's just not what you're supposed to do. But as we read it, did that pop up in the story? It did not. Instead, Jesus understands, and what is very true to our lives, we actually understand we should be pursuing greatness. It's actually embedded in every human being that God created us to pursue significance, having our lives matter, have our lives count for something. That the desire to have our lives count and making a difference is actually a very good thing. You guys remember having a dream when you were younger? Something you, you aspired to be, uh, something that you believed was going to make a difference, maybe after watching Top Gun recently. Some of you guys were like, I just want to be a fighter pilot. I just think being a fighter pilot like, like Tom Cruise at Top Gun, that is going to be significant. Or, or maybe it was an author or, or an artist of some kind. You know, I remember being a little kid. What do you think I dreamed about? I could imagine, I could imagine, sit, not, you can imagine me in the driveway 
with the hoop, and what do you think I'm thinking? What team am I playing for? I'm playing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, and it's game seven in the NBA Finals. Now, I can dream, right? We can dream. It's game seven in the Finals, and it's three to three. The, the series is on the line, and David Bartosik is up there, and he's got the ball in his hands, right? Can you picture it? And the clock is winding down. The clock goes three, two, and then I miss. And then, hold on, there was enough time for me to get the ball again and gather one more time for one last second shot, and we win the game, right? We aspire for greatness. We, there you go. And we might have been playing the Milwaukee Bucks. I don't know. Who knows? But, but we aspire for greatness, right? What does it mean to be great? We, we want our lives to count for something. And, and, and Jesus doesn't diminish that. But he understands sin has tainted that expectation of what greatness is. And so he continues and he tells them, I understand this desire for greatness in your life, but let me now redefine what the path to true greatness is. So pick it up again at verse 34. But they said, while they were on the way, argued with one another who was the greatest. Then they sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, how does he finish that sentence? If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He doesn't diminish their desire for greatness. Instead, he begins to describe what true greatness is. He says it's the one who would be last of all and servant of all. Jesus, have you guys been wondering what in the world that picture is? Anybody been wondering what that picture is of? It's a picture of Jerusalem, and it's flipped upside down. Because Jesus is telling them how to be great, but he turns our understanding of greatness on his head. He turns our understanding of greatness upside down. Because we understand it, and this is just the universal reality of greatness, what does it mean to be great based upon our culture's understanding? I think it's embedded in two primary ideas. That we compare ourselves with others. I mean, I was just down in the kids' room this morning. We understand why we do competitions, right? We don't do competitions so we can understand how average we are, right? Why do we do competitions? So we can understand how great we are compared to whom? Someone else. We are comparing ourselves with others. And then when that is accomplished, we're looking for our significance from the way others view us. I was just downstairs watching Owen and Oliver play ping pong against each other. They weren't battling to see if they could end up in a tie, right? That wasn't the goal of the ping pong tournament. My kids do this, right? I watch them. Someone has a balloon and then someone else wants the balloon. It could be any object of any size, any shape. They want a balloon. One of the other kids wants the balloon, but then they're excluded, right? And we begin comparing. I don't have a balloon, mom and dad. I'm like, wait, why do you need a balloon? Go do something else. You have a thousand toys. We just understand these ideas of greatness in every situation in life. And it makes us feel good when those are true of us, right? <laughs> uh, I was standing with my neighbor this past uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, it, don't read too much into this. I went and got a lawnmower. And, uh, and, uh, and again, it's, it's just what we have, right? I just bought an electric lawnmower. <laughs> he, 
he goes, David, you will be the envy of the neighborhood. <laughs> we, we're just looking for significance from whatever we have, right? How we view being perceived as great. If what? If others view us as better or others are serving us. And Jesus is saying that is sin distorting the way greatness ought to be perceived. We long to be great by what? By actually looking great <laughs> or being greater than someone else. And I just go, this is life, right? Here's a small list. This is just the way life works. Is it not? You just look around life and we start evaluating and comparing of who might be perceived as great. This is just our culture. It's just our world. It was Jesus' world. We just understand if someone's more attractive, you ever watch those shows where they just test this theory, right? They just test this theory to watch who might be served based upon their level of attractiveness, physical strength, right? We just understand someone who's stronger, there's just a level of greatness that we attribute. Height, man, Depending on the sport you play, height would either be perceived as positive if you're taller or positive if you're shorter, right? That's just, that's just how we perceive greatness, right? If, if someone's a jockey, height, if they're shorter, is going to be more advantageous. If they're taller, you might want to play a sport like basketball. We just understand. There's this sense of how the world works and greatness and how people perceive greatness. This is the context Jesus is teaching to car, right? You ever pull up? I was just talking again to someone recently, and they just said, if you pull up to like a 1994 Buick Oldsmobile that might be a little rusted, what starts going through your mind? Don't say it out loud. What starts going through your mind? Oh, man, I'm glad that's not my car, right? We just understand there's these things, these measures we begin comparing giftedness, vocation, job. And, and I, this is, again, how, how it makes sense to me. I'm watching Owen and Oliver play ping pong, right? They're eight. They're not battling on who's going to be second place, right? That's third, right? What do they want? They want greatness. Athletics, music, artists. And sometimes I go, it's not just in those areas of life. You guys watch the hot dog eating contest, right? I mean, we do this in every area of life. And I was thinking about this. What do we do in Wisconsin, right? Don't we like measure greatness of livestock? Or what, what's, what, do we like measure like a squash size or something like that? What do we, like a watermelon? Like, do, don't we measure like the greatness of our crop, right? We just do this. What is it? What do we measure, Dave? That cow chip throwing? <laughs> It's just what we do, right? We understand. This is just how the world works, David. This is just what we do. And Jesus is saying there's actually a, a different way to be viewing this thing. He says this. How might we? He sat with the 12, called them, and said to them, if anyone will be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. That to actually be great is what? We begin viewing other people as better, and we serve others. He says the two keys to being great, being last of all and servant of all. Now here's the challenge when we hear those words. Where does your mind immediately go? So David is 
is Jesus telling me to be a doormat? Where I just get walked on all the time? Is that, is that what he's calling us to? Is that greatness? And instead, Jesus gives us an illustration. He says, let me help you walk through and unpack what I mean of what it means to view others better in humility and serve others. And he brings a child in his midst. If anyone would serve me, he must be last of all and servant of all. So David, am I just supposed to be a doormat? Am I just supposed to be walked on? Just let people take advantage of me all the time, relentlessly, over and over and over? Is that what he's calling us to? And he took a child, verse 36, and put him in the midst of them, and, talk, and taking him in his arms, he said, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. I think this is profound. So he's talking, and he's, he's talking, and then he sees a child. Now, now, in this context, slightly different than ours, right? In our society, how are children viewed? I mean, we idolize kids around here, right? Feels like in our society, we've elevated them, and we will do whatever we can to possibly adjust our world to meet theirs. Slightly different in their context. This would be the most marginalized, devalued, uh, I was, yeah, a marginalized, devalued person in society. Not worth much. And, and Jesus demonstrates greatness by bringing in a child. And, and he demonstrates two things. That to happily serve those others considered lowly is actually serving Jesus and to serve those who are considered lonely for Jesus is to serve God the Father. So I imagine, what would it look like in 21st century Wisconsin for us, if Jesus were here, who would he invite in? And, and, and what comes to my mind, the, the lowly, the marginalized, he would pull a homeless person and say, you know the way you actually serve and love? And taking a homeless man in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such person in my name receives me, and whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. And it's no longer, because he's not saying what I love. He's not saying, let me elevate the value of the child. Do you see that? He's not doing that. What's he doing? He's saying the way you interact with the child does what? Is to serve Jesus. <laughs> David, why are you making everything spiritual? Why does everything have to be spiritual? What's he say? And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child, this person that provides no utilitarian value, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me that it actually is an act that demonstrates you're part of this upside-down kingdom and the value that you see in a relationship with God the Father. To happily serve those, consider, others considered lowly for Jesus, is to serve God the Father. And so, what, what would be the benefits of this lifestyle? What, why would we see this as valuable? Here would be my encouragement, that, that we actually believe there's value in more humility, there's value in this more secure lifestyle of not looking for value from other people. 
There's actually more joy in serving and that we get a chance to share Jesus' love. But I love the benefit Jesus describes. He says, you are great in Jesus' eyes. So wherever we find ourselves, here would be some encouragement, some implications for our life this week. Because I just assume if you're like me, there's a battle for greatness. I'm tempted to believe the world's view of greatness. And so if you're still finding ourselves looking for significance and comparing myself with others, I think Jesus' words have meaning. If we're still not as motivated as we would like to serve, we get the idea, yeah, 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 Jesus, this upside down kingdom. Yeah, the first shall be last, get it, and serve them all, get it. But I'm just not as motivated this week to really apply that. Or I'm sitting here going, man, I'd love to desire Jesus' view of greatness world and less of the world's view. How would I get that? What can we do to become great in Jesus' kingdom? How do we become humble and motivated to serve the lowest? I think one of the funniest things for me is someone who's striving to be more humble, right? I don't think you actually become more humble by striving to be humble. You don't actually, can I just will more humility? Instead, here's my hope, here's my promise, here's my guarantee. We want to continue to live and experience more of this upside-down kingdom of greatness. We keep growing in our understanding and experience of Jesus. The battle belongs to the Lord, right? That prayer is the work that I keep growing in my understanding, and I keep growing in my understanding and experience of who we are in Christ. What, what is the faith, the Christ followers' origin story? That we believe we're made in the image of God. Who are we? We are made in the image of God, and, and there is a brokenness, a separation, a gap that exists, that, that I feel this deep sin issue. It's, it's not about other layers of complexity. Instead, there's a deep brokenness in this relationship, and we've been restored through life with Christ. So, so here's my challenge this week to you guys. What, what's a question that you could ask that might help uncover where we find ourselves in this journey towards this path of greatness? What's one question that might uncover that? How can I help? So I'm going I'm to challenge you to put this into practice this week. Do two things. <laughs> one, do something that you absolutely delight in. What is it that you find joy in that, that just lights you up? What is that? Do that thing. And in addition, do we take Jesus at his word when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive? Do one thing that demonstrates this life of service, this life of seeking others good, and then pause long enough to actually journal those thoughts and reflect, what, what was that like? What was that experience like where you stepped into a real moment and said, how can I help? Around here, there's opportunities, as well as out in our community are opportunities. And so I, I want you guys to direct your uh, attention to, uh, to the screen. We get to hear one of our people describe what this experience of continuing to serve, specifically in kids' ministry for her, what that experience is like. Thank you.
Hey, I'm Jane Wall. I got connected um, to the children's ministry, well, partially through Aaron, because we've been in the same life group for quite a while, but also because my granddaughter was going to be starting Sunday school, and she's a little bit on the shy side, and I thought, oh, it would be nice to be there for her and make the transition a little bit easier for her. Well, I'm saying with these younger kids, honestly, for selfish reasons, they bring me so much joy. I feel like I get so much more out of every Sunday morning and the time that I spend with them than I give. I mean, children, I love kids. I've got five of my own and eight grandchildren. Um, they're such a blessing and such a gift and they bring us so much joy. And just to be with them and the energy that they bring and the curiosity and just the openness and willingness to learn, um, it's just, it's exciting. Many, many years ago, um, teaching Sunday school, um, had a young student in a class, um, we're talking like first or second grade, and his father was killed unexpectedly. That was obviously a very hard time for this young child and for the whole family. And I was able just to be there to support and serve that family, um, not in any extra extravagant way, but just by being there and loving on that child and loving on that family. As a Sunday school teacher, um, to really be able to connect with a child, you know, to have a child sitting on your lap and crying, and you crying with them, um, but trying to be Jesus' hands and feet um, for that child. And then to have that man come back to you years later and tell you how important that was and that they haven't forgotten that. What, what happened when they were seven years old um, in that Sunday school room stayed with them. So I, I think that's why um, I really enjoy doing this. It's because I get to do something that Jesus wants us to do, and it's to be with these kids and serve them and let them know how much Jesus loves them. And it's it impacts them in ways that you, you just really maybe won't know until we get to heaven.